Welcome to Adventures of a Blonde Geisha. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Adventures of a Blonde Geisha. My name is Lisa Wilkerson. Thank you for joining me. Now, before we get started on my J-pop culture, um, I want to say I'm so excited. I have an opening and ending theme song for my podcast. Um, I was looking through all kinds of music tracks, you know, that you can buy for your podcast to add some music to it. And I found this one called Sleepless in Shibuya. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is perfect for me. Um, Shibuya, for those of you that don't know, is kind of the youth culture capital of Tokyo. And it's where a lot of fashion gets started. It's where a lot of music or the trends get started from Japanese pop culture. So I spent many a sleepless night in Shibuya, whether it was playing or working. I even lived in Shibuya for quite a few years. So Shibuya has always had a very special place in my heart. Um, and at some point, you know, during this podcast, I want to make sure that I highlight Shibuya and the amazing stuff that I came across. Um, because I was, I started working in Shibuya like around the late eighties. So this is when the bubble economy was going strong in Japan. Um, and this is also really the beginning of Shibuya becoming relevant to Tokyo and becoming the youth culture capital, really. And so I watched it as it grew and I got to experience some really fun, wacky, crazy, very Japanese, um, pop culture moments. So, um, I mean, they even have their own genre of music, which is called Shibuya K which means of Shibuya. And this was really big in the 90s, especially um, going into the early 2000s and some incredible creativity has come out of Shibuya. So sleepless in Shibuya. Yeah. All right. So now let's go ahead and talk a little bit about J-pop culture. I have a hodgepodge of pop culture influences, of course, because I lived in Japan for so long. And then yet I you know, of course, related to a lot of stuff uh, that the Americans, as I say, or, you know, people as I am American, but um, I, you know, loved a lot of the pop music from the 80s from the US, or like the TV shows or movies or whatnot, or fashion. But there were a few things growing up that for me have just been huge influences in my life. So I thought I'd kind of talk a little bit about that, introduce it. I'll start with music. Um, Pink Lady. If you haven't heard of them, um, it would be really fun for you to go check out their videos on YouTube or they're also available on a lot of the music streaming sites. Pink Lady were the original idol group. They started off on an audition TV show, a little similar to American Idol. Um, and they won and it was two girls, me and Kay. They had their debut single, 1976, called Pepper Kebu. Pepper Kebu, Jama Oshi Naite. And it was kind of this really fun, cute, 
kawaii or buriko, as they used to say back then. Um, and you had a little bit of disco flavor going on because, of course, you know, 70s, there's a lot of disco um, worldwide that was really popular. But they continued to dominate the charts. So Pepe Kebu, and then they also had SOS, another big hit. Um, probably my favorite was UFO. And it was this really fun dance to that song, UFO, um, Southpaw. And, you know, of course, they came out, they wore matchy-matchy outfits, and they always had a fun dance to every single song that they did. And so every little girl that I know of, um, maybe even families, you know, um, would know the dance to the song, would know the lyrics to the song. They were that kind of, you know, they were like the Destiny's Child or the Britney Spears or NSYNC or whatever, Backstreet Boys of the 70s. They were that big. They dominated. So it wasn't just radio. They did TV, too. They were everywhere. They had a little kids show for that was hosted by the girls from Pink Lady. They even had like an anime that came out, you know, about their life as Pink Lady. And then they decided they wanted to come over to the U.S. and try to crack this market which, of course, is a very difficult market to enter if you're an outsider, especially back then. They came out with a song called Kiss in the Dark, which somehow made it onto the Billboard Top 40 charts. And, you know, for those of you that don't really know about a lot of the old school pop culture, Billboard Top 40 charts was everything. This was like the Bible of music, right? So that to them meant that they arrived and they were very happy with that. They even performed live at the Tropicana Hotel um, right around this time. And then they were given an opportunity to do a variety show on NBC. Um, they did it with a U.S. comedian, Jeff Altman, who does a lot of stand-up comedy. He's done a lot of work with David Letterman's show. And the show was called Pink Lady and Jeff. Unfortunately, it only lasted six weeks. One, the girls from Pink Lady could speak English, but they weren't fluent, right? So there you go. You have that. But then also, they weren't allowed to do a lot of the songs that are really their brand on the show because they didn't have the rights to the songs. So, you know, I, I'm sure that they were extremely disappointed. Then they went back to Japan and they continued to, you know, conquer the, not just Japan, but the rest of Asia too. They were all over the place. In 1980, they were actually the first Japanese act to ever perform live in Seoul, Korea. So that's just goes to show what kind of a pioneer they were, really, right? Um, and I was obsessed with them. I had all their records, like the singles, and usually in the back side, there would be an instrumental. So I would take that and put on a concert for all my neighbors. I had a cute little pink record player with pink microphone <laughs> oh yeah i was pink lady all the way um but you know it's such fond memories i used to love them so if you ever get a chance though you might want to check out especially their videos they're pretty fabulous um now let's move on to some tv stuff that for me has been a really big influence starting with manga nippon mukashi banashi which mukashi banashi means folk tales from japan this was an animated show, came out weekly, I believe, um, every Sunday around 5 p.m. I would always be in front of the TV, ready to watch the latest episode. And it was basically a little vignette of different folk tales, folklore, 
from all over Japan. I'm representing all different, you know, districts or prefectures. And all the characters were voiced by two voice actors. I didn't know this until recently, but I found that pretty incredible because you have the narrator and then there are always, you know, so many different characters in these um, fairy tales. But they were, they were both, they were done by two veteran stage actors, Akira Emoto and Yoneko Matsukane. And one of the really cool things about this show, this 24 minute show, which once more, I didn't even realize it was 24 minutes. To me, it felt like it was an hour. I was just so obsessed with, I don't know, you know, uh, who knows? But, um, but one of the really cool things I think about the concept of the show is that every week they would have a different creative team do everything as in the music, as in the illustrations, which is a really great idea because you are giving different creative teams opportunities to be a part of something very high profile, right? Like the ratings were great for Mikeshi In fact, I think to this day, it's one of Japan's longest running TV series ever in TV history. Um, but this also helped nurture a lot of the talent for upcoming, like Ghibli talent or Madhouse or like, you know, all these animation studios, a lot of these people got their start with Mukashi Banashi. And one of the things that was, uh, one of the things that was really interesting about this TV show is that they would kind of teach the dark and the bright side of life. So this was about teaching moral lessons, I guess, to kids, but teaching the good and the bad. And, you know, hey, happy endings don't always happen, um, which I think is as well is a very Japanese thing. You know, I know that a lot of times in the U.S. with pop culture, um, especially when it comes to Hollywood and especially back then, it was always a happy ending. You know, they always had to have that happy ending. But Japanese pop culture doesn't have that so much. Um, you see that a lot in anime. You see that a lot in the big films and the movies that they release and so, um, yeah, so I highly recommend Mukesh Banashi. You can also find that on YouTube. Um, I've recently started doing a panel for anime conventions that I go to where I talk a little bit about the Mukesh Banashi and they show a couple episodes. It's a lot of fun because it, you know, takes me down memory lane. All right, moving on to anime. Yes. Now, probably my biggest influence for anime would have to be Attack Number One. This is a volleyball anime. Now, of course, if you know your anime, you know that there's an anime out called Haikyuu, right? Which has been out for a couple years now. But Attack Number One was the original haiku. It started off as a manga. 1970, it came out and it was the first televised sports anime that was geared towards teenage girls um or as they call it the shoujo genre and it was originally released to capitalize on the popularity of volleyball because japan's women's team had won the gold medal at the 1964 olympics so all of a sudden everyone was really interested in volleyball there were a lot of kids playing and so they came out with attack number one um, which I didn't know until really recently. Now I have a really fun story about attack number one. Um, I work with a lot of the Japanese seiyu or voice actors, you know, at different 
conventions like all over the U.S. And I remember one time I was working with Masako Nozawa. She plays the voice of Goku in Dragon Ball Z, like a highly respected um, voice actor. So she was at a convention and her daughter is, you know, usually comes with her because she helps her, manages her. And, you know, she's just, she helps out Masako-san with everything that she needs during an event. And we were just chatting about, you know, different things. And Masako-san asked me, so Lisa, what, what are some of the things that you liked as a kid? And I told her I loved attack number one. And her daughter was like, oh my gosh, me too. And it was so funny because Masako-san was like, ah, yeah, attack number one, you know, because I think every girl loved attack number one around that time when it came out. And she said, you know, Lisa, I have a story to tell. I, she said, when I started doing voice acting, um, you know, I would get these roles and I would come home and I would tell my young daughter, um, hey, I got this and this. And she just always seemed unimpressed, right? She was like, eh, yeah, whatever, you know, not exciting. And then, but then one day she got an audition to play the part of high school captain Higaki and she got the role. And she was so excited because she knew her daughter was a huge fan of attack number one. So she came home. She was like, oh, my gosh, I got this role. And her daughter was like, what? Um, and so, you know, they decided that they were going to watch it when it came on TV and it was going to be this big deal. So the episode starts airing. And then, uh, you know, Masako sounds like, oh, here I am. Here I am. Her daughter looked at the TV and then looked at her really quickly and was like, what? You play the villain? And she said that all of a sudden her daughter was so mad at her. She wouldn't talk to her. She was like, oh, my gosh, you caused so much damage. And it was so funny because Masako-san, she said it went from being this amazing experience where finally she was having a bonding experience with her daughter to... Now she's enemy number one, you know, with her own daughter. So I thought that was a little, um, kind of funny. But anyway, so attack number one also led me to being on the volleyball team. I auditioned when I was in seventh grade, uh, American School Japan, ASIJ, and I got the A team and I was super excited. Um, and then I went on to play volleyball for like 12 years. So obviously a huge influence on me as well. So another anime, sports anime, that for me was a big uh, influence would be Ace Nerai, which literally means aim for the ace. And this anime started around 1979. This was another one that a lot of girls around my age were obsessed with. And this series actually um, is considered to be one of the best-selling shoujo or teen girl Target, you know, teen girl demographic manga um, series of all time. And it is a tennis anime, a little bit similar to like attack number one, where, you know, of course it talks about the team dynamics going on and with the coach, with the friends, there's always a heroine, of course. Um, and then all the drama that happens with rival schools and whatnot. Um, so, you know, Ace Onerae, I saw that anime and I started playing tennis with my dad. I used to love playing tennis uh, and it was because of this anime. 
So fast forward to, I think it was around 2003, I got an audition for a live action version of Eizou Nirae that they were, that they were going to be creating in Japan. And I was blown away. Um, I remember the agency calling me and saying, Hey, Lisa, we have this, you know, audition for an anime. I don't know if you've heard of it, but they're turning it into a live action. It's called Eizou Nirae. And I was like, what? Oh yeah. I'm there. I'm there. So I get to, uh, I think it was TV Asahi. Uh, or yeah, TV Asahi. And I go to the director and producer's, you know, office and I'm super excited. Of course, they want me to be like the bad, the big bad Russian opponent, like super strong, you know, so I had to, I brought my tennis racket. I wasn't told to bring a racket, but I did because that's how I roll. Um, and I brought it and I was like, you guys don't know. I'm such a big fan. And I'm pretty sure that they were just sitting there listening to me going, what is going on right now? Why is this tall blonde chick talking about aim for the ace or ace nerae? And, you know, she's like doing these swings like, yeah, this, this. Yeah. So anyway, needless to say, I did not get that part. Um, to this day, I'm a little sad about it, but that's okay. So another anime that for me is a huge influence and I was completely obsessed with is Candy Candy. And like the other two, this is one that probably every girl my age, a little bit older, younger, loved. We all loved Candy Candy. This was a manga series, of course, based on it's an adaptation into an anime. And it's a story about a young girl who grows up in an orphanage. Then she gets adopted into a wealthy family. Um, and the family starts to treat her badly. And, you know, she becomes a um, servant. I mean, it has a little bit of like a Cinderella theme going on, right? Um, it came out in 1975. And, you know, then, of course, Candy Candy finds her first love, Anthony Brown, or Anson, as they call him. And so things started looking up for Candy Candy. But then one day she died, or not she, sorry, um, Anthony dies in a hunting accident. He, they are both on horses. And then his horse, the um, hoof gets caught in a trap and he goes flying and then he dies. And I just remember being so devastated by that um, to the point where I remember going up to my mom and saying, mom, Anthony died. I don't think I can go to school tomorrow. Well, let's just say that didn't work well. You know, I did have to go to school, but nice try. A for effort. Um, so, you know, this is how important the show was to me. I even remember like the theme song, what up there, what up there, what up the candy. Um, it was kind of fun, cute, goody girl. Um, so fast forward to around 2013. Um, Anime Expo, which is a really big anime event here in Los Angeles, happens every summer. And I'm looking through the guest roster because I'm going to be going there, um, that year. And so I look at the guest roster and I see Kazuhiko Inoue. He plays the role of Anthony. And I thought, oh my gosh. I was so excited. You know, a lot of times people will ask, have you fangirled at, you know, because I've worked with so many different people 
um, that I'm a huge fan of, right? And they said, have you ever fangirled? I was like, yes, there's this one time. So I'm at Anima Expo. I go into the green room. I'm just hanging out. And all of a sudden, who walks in but Mr. Kazuhiko Inoue? He goes over, like opens a little bottle of water. You know, she's kind of sipping, like chilling. Uh, relaxing. And meanwhile, my brain is going a mile a minute. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I have to go say hi. I have to go say hi. I have to go say hi. Um, but then I'm also thinking, I can't do that. You know, this is a green room. Like that would be so just not good, you know, but I finally said, you know what, Lisa, you might never see him again. So I go over to him and I'm like, Anthony Daisuke, which means I love Anthony. His eyes, he looked at me like, what? You know, I think he, he was, and I was like, more candy, candy, Daisuke on this. And I'm like, I love candy, candy. And he's just looking at me, trying to understand what's going on in front of him, right? Because he sees this tall blonde chick who's speaking to him, one, in Japanese, two, talking about this anime that he did years ago and about how she loves it so much and she loves anthony and he was just so shocked by it all but of course do i take it a step further yes i do because that's how i roll and i started singing the theme song the opening song to him i'm like and he just looked at me like Oh my God. <laughs> I remember I was actually with a friend of mine and she was sitting down. She was like, I can't, I can't even be associated with what's going on right now. Right. But, um, anyway, so, you know, obviously I'm sure left some kind of impression on him. Um, and then I asked if I could take a picture and even in the picture, it's so funny because now I look at it and his face is like frozen. You know, I'm like super excited. I have a big smile on my face and he has a smile, but it's like, ah, yes, this is creepy. Get me out of here kind of thing. So that happened. Then a few years later, I'm at another big event and he is the guest. Um, one of the guests. So I find out I have to do the moderating and interpreting for his panels. I'm like, oh my gosh, how embarrassing. He's going to think, he's going to be like, no, 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 no. I don't want her to help me at all. I'm good. I'm okay. I can handle things on my own. But so I go to meet him and his manager. I don't say anything about, you know, the fact that I had worked with him before or met him. And so we're talking about what to talk about in the panel and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, I keep looking up and he's kind of looking at me funny. And I'm thinking, oh, no, maybe he knows. So we finish the meeting. And then um, as he's getting ready to leave, he's like, I remember you. You're that pink lady or not pink lady. You're, you're that candy, candy girl. You love candy, candy. You love Anthony, right? You were singing to me in the green room, right? And his manager was like, what? What happened? And I, and I couldn't say no, right? I was like, uh, yeah, that would be me. That would be me. Um, anyway, but it was like a really fun, you know, just, but I mean, really thinking about just the idea that I was able to meet him when he was this childhood 
voice that I heard, you know, character that I absolutely adored, you know, it was just like a really cool experience. But anyway, so that's just a little bit of my J-pop culture. And this is a topic that I think will be coming up a lot because I have a lot of other really fun and crazy stories to tell you guys about, you know, um, experiences or other influences that I have. But anyway, I just wanted to say, first of all, you know, there's a lot going on in the world right now. It's kind of a crazy time. And uh, yeah, you know, I just think that um, I found out the other day that uh, someone who I knew from my elementary school um, you know, in Tokyo, that she had been battling depression, you know, the whole time during COVID. And she decided she couldn't handle it anymore. And so I, yeah, I found out like a few days ago that she passed away. Um, she lost her battle to depression. And when I, when I heard that, I was like, man, you know, when you think about it, everything that we've all gone through these past couple of years, right, has been extremely intense. And Sometimes you forget to pat yourself on the back for making it this far and for getting through all those crazy struggles that we all have all our we all have our own individual battle right that we're dealing with and so I just want to say take some time at some point and just really um, pat yourself on the back for the fact that you're still here and you're still fighting. You know, I think that that's really, there's something to be said for that. Um, I try to do that a lot. I try to really have a sense of, uh, gratefulness for a lot of stuff that's happened in my life. And so anyway, I just wanted to end on that note, but I want to thank you guys again for joining me and once more, this is going to be a journey that I'm going to be talking a lot about some personal stuff. And um, I hope that you guys enjoy it. Um, you know, I, and I want to thank you for all the support that you guys have been giving me until now for my podcast. So this is Lisa Wilkerson signing off on Adventures of a Blind Geisha. Thank you so much and have a wonderful, peaceful day or night, wherever you are. Lots of love. <laughs> Kazuga kokoro fukiyarashite ite